This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, July 3rd, 2023. Good afternoon, and thanks so much for joining us for the Monday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. A look at Tesla's dominance in the EV charging space. We'll cover that in our next segment. But first, the big government jobs report set to be released Friday morning will be front and center in a holiday-shortened week. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, remind you to bring your business home is Tom Hudson, Miami-based financial journalist. And uh, Tom, we know that uh, all eyes are going to be on the U.S. labor market this Friday. Can you sort of give us a preview of what we can expect from this jobs report? Well, certainly what we'll expect are the tea leaves, the fireworks in the sky to be able to read what the next action may be (laughs) from the U.S. Federal Reserve, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to look for here. A strong Uh, Employment number, uh, you know, 200, 220,000, 250,000 or more. That's, again, an unbelievable number given the continued expansion we've seen in the U.S. economy and the labor market. Continue to see that kind of strength. It's going to give cover for the Federal Reserve and its open market committee to return to raising interest rates to make sure that uh, it is convinced and it convinces the U.S. consumer that it remains on guard against inflation, which while cooler here, it's still awfully hot, you know, four or five percent higher compared to a year ago. Well, we also know that that the Fed elected to sort of leave its benchmark interest rate alone last month, uh, citing a few key data points. Mm -hmm. And and one of those is going to be this June jobs report. Um, And and as we heard from Bloomberg's Ann Cates, maybe we don't see it in this upcoming meeting, but perhaps September. uh, But but more hikes are on the on the horizon. No doubt about it. And the uh, CME FedWatch tool, which is a great market indicator of real-time expectations by traders there in uh, in the loop, expecting uh, the Federal Reserve to return to a 25 basis point or a quarter point increase in its latest meeting. The Federal Reserve took a little bit of a summer pause, I suppose you could call it, Rachel, in June. You know, let's let's see how the homework is taking effect here. Let's see how the medicine is affecting. And no doubt it has cooled inflation. But there's such a lag effect between the Federal Reserve taking action on its key interest rate and it really being felt in the real economy. And so what the real economy is experiencing here this summer are interest rate hikes that happened months and months and months ago. The, the springtime interest rate hikes have yet to be really figured into the real economy, certainly into the market, yes, but into consumer pockets, perhaps not quite yet. Well, it's the same sort of, I'm, I'm still focusing on the labor market, similar situation in that you'd, you'd think that with unemployment rates falling, that we would signal a slowdown in the pace of hiring, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, maybe it's just also going to be another delayed reaction here. It could be. I mean, companies have shown an incredible appetite to continue 
to uh, to create jobs and to create opportunities. And it has been pulling uh, Americans off the sidelines of the labor market back into the workforce. That had been, you know, a confounding factor, you know, a few years ago as COVID, the COVID veil just started to lift. So many Americans were reluctant to get back in the workforce for a lot of different reasons, health reasons, even financial reasons because of stimulus payments and whatnot. Those are, are, are gone in terms of the stimulus payments. And so the continued demand for workers it, despite the uh, 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 you know predictions of artificial intelligence and AI's effect on worker demand, we continue to see American employers have a strong appetite for uh, for new workers. That's just it. It all boils down to labor demand and then the available supply of workers. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that has been driving to some degree paychecks, which have been showing a positive uh, movement over the past many many months, but not nearly the kind of increases that we've seen to keep pace with inflation. Thanks so much, Tom Hudson, financial journalist based in Miami, Florida. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Tesla is becoming the leader in both electric vehicles and charging infrastructure. Joining us with the latest is Paul Hawkman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And Paul, usually when we're talking about an industry, be it uh, you know electric vehicles or tech, there's always a few players that seem to sort of be the front runners. But really, when we're talking about EVs, it's it's one name and it's Tesla. That's absolutely right. And and one of the main reasons uh, now that, look, there are hundreds and anybody who follows the, the automobile industry understands there are hundreds. But one of the main reasons that Tesla has led and no pun intended, led the charge is because basically uh, they saw that infrastructure was going to matter. In other words, they're going to build great cars and they do. Um, although, you know, the jury's out on whether or not everybody loves the way a Tesla feels to drive. But what they did was they built a, a, an infrastructure of superchargers, basically ways for Tesla drivers to easily go get charges. So anybody who's determined the industry is range anxiety. OK. And so a lot of people who buy or thinking about buying electric cars think, hey, I don't know how far I can go and I don't know how many charging stations there will be. Well, Tesla is making good cars, but what they really saw uh, way in advance of everybody else was if there was infrastructure, there would be sales. Right, right. And and we're also seeing, too, then, uh, you know, uh, other businesses adopt that infrastructure, setting up those charging stations and, and sort of having Tesla be the standard there as well. Exactly right. In fact, not just other businesses, but competing businesses, specifically Ford and GM. And uh, Volvo just announced, which Volvo's going all electric by 2026, they said. And Volvo just announced a similar deal to Ford and GM, which is to say, that those vehicles, Ford, GM, and now, now Volvo, will all be allowed to, enabled to, technically speaking as well, to use Tesla supercharging stations. So what that means is a fairly spotty charging network for non-Tesla users is suddenly going to have lots of competition. A lot of it will probably gravitate to the Tesla standard. Tesla is hoping that. Uh, and then, and by the way, this is really important for anybody who doesn't hasn't really plugged in one of these things. There are two main standards for charging. One's called the North American Charging Standard, NACS. That's Tesla. But it doesn't work with non-Tesla EVs. There is another system, a public domain, called Combined Charging System, CCS. That plug standard is everybody else. And so nobody who's everybody else could pull into a a Tesla supercharger station and get charged. That's going to change. And that's a big, big deal for people who are worried about range anxiety. Well, and it's good news for for Tesla. I mean, obviously, it doesn't want uh, to have sales of vehicles go to Ford and GM, but it is still going to, you know, prosper from the business of now those vehicles utilizing its technology, no? Exactly right. And by the way, I would suggest that, and I think that's exactly the right question to ask. I don't, nobody knows the answer yet, but I think 
What's going to happen is that Ford, GM, and even Volvo users who are intrigued by Tesla but haven't make, made that move, now pulling into a Tesla-branded supercharging mm-hmm. station, will think about Tesla every time they pull in. So Tesla's probably banking. I can't guarantee. I don't know Elon Musk very well, <laughs> but and, and almost nobody does. But that said, I think it's not unlikely that they're branding Tesla as much as anything else by allowing these vehicles to pull into a Tesla station, so to speak. And all of a sudden, everybody's thinking about Tesla. So I think it's partly branding as as much as it is competition. Thanks so much, Paul Hawkman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show. Up next, we'll talk about how to gain control over debt using a balance transfer credit card. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A credit card balance transfer can be a great tool to save money on existing debt, but it also comes with some problems. Joining us with some key advice is Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com in New York. Ted, let's start with the pros. What are some of the positives of doing a credit card balance transfer? I think this could really be a great strategy for debt payoff because you can avoid interest for up to 21 months with cards like the Wells Fargo Reflect, the City Simplicity, and the Bank AmeriCard, that 21 months without interest could save you hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars, depending on how much you owe, considering that the average credit card charges about 20%. I was going to say, look at where inflation is right now. We know that interest rates are are at an all-time high. Well, maybe not all-time, but still, uh, if you're looking to to consolidate and and save some money in that aspect, certainly a, a, a good idea, maybe. But there are some downsides. This could possibly backfire in a really bad way. Right. The business case here is that these banks are considering that a lot of people are going to carry debt after the clock runs out. I've seen data to the effect of it's roughly half and half. Now, if you can be in the half that are paying this off, avoiding interest, that's huge. The other side, though, I mentioned the average credit card charges about 20%. Once the balance transfer term ends, some of these cards charge close to 30%, especially if you have a lesser credit score. So that's definitely a potential downside. The best way to use one of these is to pay in full before the clock runs out. Maybe don't add any new purchases, divide what you owe, try to stick to that level payment plan. That could really help you out. One other thing to be aware of is the transfer fee. It's usually 3 to 5% mm-hmm. up front. Again, well worth it if you pay off your debt quickly at a low cost, but not if you're just going to kick the can down the road. Right. Well, and that's sort of the mentality that could come with this, too, right, is you feel like you've accomplished something by consolidating some of that debt. <laughs> but don't don't pat yourself on the back too early, because as you mentioned, really, the key thing is going to be taking advantage of the no interest window and paying it off. Exactly. Sticking to a plan is really important. Minimum payments aren't going to make much progress. You don't want to leave it all till the end. That's where I say don't add any new purchases. It may be tempting because they may be 0% interest for a while as well, but it's hard to hit a moving target. So I would say just divide what you owe by the number of months you have in that 0% term. Try to stick to that level payment plan. I mean, pay it off even earlier if you want, but from an interest rate perspective, just make sure that balance is gone before that clock runs out. Thanks so much, Ted Rossman, industry analyst at creditcards.com. Still ahead, a look at the so-called slow fashion trend. Then at 1249 this afternoon, a visit with our Monday afternoon stock picker. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. 
The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rachel Pearson in for Rob Hart, and these are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A man in Lake County, Illinois, is in the hospital this afternoon, plus, Chicago beaches reopening for swim season. WBBM Business, markets closed in positive territory, the Dow up 11 points, NASDAQ up 29, the S&P 500 up 5 points. AccuWeather says it's going to be a sunny afternoon with a high near 87 degrees. The WBBM Noon Business Hour now continues as a man in unincorporated carries been transported to a local hospital after a firework exploded in his face. WBBM's Carolina Garibay reports. We say around 9.15, officers responded to a home on Hickory Nut Grove Road to find a 58-year-old man going in and out of consciousness. He reportedly brought fireworks to a gathering at the home when one he lit didn't detonate. When he looked into the tube housing the firework, it exploded in his face. The man sustained major injuries to the head and was transported to a local medical center. Police say charges are possible. Carolina Garibay, News Radio 105.9 WBBM. Chicago beaches are reopened for swimming, with one exception, and that's the Marion Mahoney Griffin Beach. The beaches were closed earlier today for some water quality testing after opening the Wilmette and Navy Pier locks resulted in increased levels of bacteria. That was all as a result of the heavy flooding from yesterday's rainfall. Evanston beaches, however, are still closed for swimming after the opening of the locks, though the sand portions of the beach will remain open. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Stocks closed the session higher this holiday-shortened trading day. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Mark Holbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com in Washington, D.C. And Mark, yes, it was a shortened trading day, but, uh, you know, the modest gains we saw, we'll take it, right? Well, that's right. <laughs> Saying on Wall Street that the most bullish thing a market can do is go up, and that's what it did today. <laughs> exactly. Even if, it, even if it wasn't that much. So let's let's sort of uh, set today aside. We know that it's uh, nothing sort of dramatic was expected today, but but it does sort of set us up to preview what the second half of this year is going to look like as far as uh, trading confidence. Can you sort of give us a preview of of what's going to lie ahead in Q3? Well, uh, you know, to be utterly honest, the, the correct answer is no one knows. I mean, the odds are that the market will go up over the next three to six months, but that's because the market tends to go up far more often than it, does go, than it goes down. And so, you know, if you play the odds, you'd say, well, that, that's what the next uh, six months will be like. But that I would say the same thing regardless of whether the market had been up or down for the first six months of this year, if regardless of 
whether we're facing a recession or, or whatever else you might want to point out. And that's one of the things that it's very hard. We spend, and I'm a journalist, I spend my time trying to read the tea leaves. But mm-hmm. in fact, it's, 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 it's like a coin flip. The uh, statisticians refer to it as a gambler's fallacy. If, if I had flipped four or five coins that all came up as heads, we'd probably think the next one's going to come up tails more likely than not. But the coin, of course, doesn't remember. The coin uh, is going to have a 50-50 probability coming up heads or tails with every flip. And uh, the stock market is not exactly like that, but it's far closer than we probably admit. And so we spend our time, journalists like myself, we spend all our time trying to figure out what the tea leaves might be saying. But the utter truth is that it's, it's, it's very close to a coin flip. Well, and I think investors are are sort of feeling that that sentiment as well in an understanding. I think there was at least looking back at the first half of the year, there was you know a lot of talk of recession, some fear, and perhaps that oh no has shifted into you know what take advantage of of what's here and and while it's available uh, because again we don't know what that next coin flip's going to look like. Yeah, you're quite right to point that out. I mean, the tea leaf uh, of of the many tea leaves that I look at, the one that I pay a lot of attention to is sentiment. And you correctly point out that at the beginning of this year, of course, the sentiment was very pessimistic. And sure enough, instead of going down, the market turned around and went back up. It actually had a very decent first half of the year. Now the sentiment is a little bit more uh, upbeat and optimistic. And it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for the market now to have uh, more of a struggle for the next six months. This is the truth that underlies contrarian analysis, which says that the market tends to do the opposite of what the majority thinks. So I think that's something at least to keep in mind as we try to imagine what the next six months might be like. Well, and I think a lot of investor sentiment and enthusiasm has has circulated around artificial intelligence and sort of the tech space. Is that something that we can likely see perpetuate into the second half of this year? Um, well, again, my guess would be not. And the reason is that uh, there, it gives off many of the signs of a bubble. I mean, for example, we saw in the first six months of this year that if a company changed its name to include AI in the name or a company was bought by a, an exchange traded fund that changed its name to include artificial intelligence, the stock went up, not because it did anything different, not because its earnings potential was better or worse, but because it's now associated with the concept of AI. And this has all the reminiscences of what happened at the top of the internet bubble, where companies would change their name to include .com and their stock mm-hmm. would shoot up. And that's not a good sign. Well, and, and, and also like the internet, we started to see some front runners emerge and, and those who simply tacked on a .com sort of fell to the wayside. And, and that will likely be the case too with with artificial intelligence. So, what what advice do you have for investors sort of looking to navigate this space? Well, that of course is the sixty four thousand dollar question. I am a big fan of just going with an index fund that is includes a, a little bit of a piece of every company out there. And the reason is that it's hard to know which companies will be the winners going forward. And a lot of people have pointed out this: uh, the market is actually a very narrow leadership right now. I think something like six or seven companies mm-hmm. account for almost all of the gain of the S&P 500 for the first six months. And in retrospect, you say it'd be great if we'd owned those seven companies, but I don't know how many people were predicting it in advance. And that's going to be the key going forward. I, I would imagine that there'll be narrow leadership going forward. 
But who those uh, six or seven companies that will provide that narrow leadership is anyone's guess. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark Holbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com based in Washington, D.C. Up next, we're going to talk about making fashion slow again. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. There's a new clothing trend that's combating waste and promoting sustainability in the fashion industry. It's called slow fashion. We welcome Jennifer Waters, Chicago-based business writer. And Jennifer, in order to understand slow fashion, I think we first need to define fast fashion. <laughs> yes, fast and slow. What are they? Fast fashion, of course, uh, is is what you see at an H&M or a Zara or uh, through like Shein, you know, the online one. They're big in uh, fast fashion. It basically started in about the nine, 1990s, and it was really this uh, this move to really get the, the hottest styles as quick as you can. And so that really moved companies like H&M and Zara to come up with a production and manufacturing that was much faster and that it could just whip out projects. Uh, Zara has like 24 different clothing lines that come out a year, wow. which is remarkable when you think there's only 12 months in the year that they're constantly bringing out new fashions. So in order to do that, they had to use cheaper materials. They get a lot of their products made uh, overseas, say in China or Bangladesh or Indonesia. Obviously, the labor there is very cheap. And then they um, and then they get it you know, over here as fast as it can. And now with the online versions like Shein, that's getting there even faster because they don't have to actually stock a store. So that's what fast fashion is. Well, and, and, and you mentioned too, uh, you you touched on this, and this is sort of what's what's led to now slow fashion is that there's some ethical uh, objections and some sustainability issues. issues. Yes, yes, yeah, and that's one of the big issues with it is that the, you know that because you're using synthetic products more than anything else, you're really contributing to the environmental issues that are plaguing our our. our planet, of course. And that's that's been a big issue with fast fashion since it was invented. But, you know, you have to remember this about fashion. Fashion has always been kind of a high high use for environmental um, things. So the slow fashion movement is trying to slow down the fast fashion. Don't, you know, get, get something that's more sustainable, use products that have either been recycled or that, um, that are just going to last longer. The flip side of, of uh, fast fashion with slow fashion is that the products, are, it takes much longer to get them and they're more expensive. And they're more expensive because the materials are better quality because there's usually kind of an artistic bent put into mm-hmm. it. So there's, you know, people who are hand making these things, not rushing them through production. Well, and from a consumer standpoint, if you're looking to reduce waste, if you're looking to stop perhaps contributing to some unethical labor practices, then then, yeah, maybe you spend a little bit more money. But you also have to think that this is going to be an article of clothing that's because it's higher quality, it's going to last longer. And it's not going to end up in some kind of clothing dump where there's so much clothes that just get dumped. I mean, you know, we think about a lot about thrifting, which has been around forever. But I mean, there's because so much of fast fashion clothing goes into thrift shops now. You're still buying crap (laughs) is what it boils down to. (laughs) So so what advice do you have for someone navigating the retail space when when trying to find something that that is what we'll call slow fashion? It's not like there's a a label on the tag that says this was made slowly. (laughs) There's not. But but to that end, too, Rachel, is that 
many fashion, you know, many clothing companies overall are really trying to become more transparent about how, how they're sourcing their goods and mm. what kind of products they're using and that kind of thing. So, so you can do that. You can look at companies a little closer like that. But it's just about um, looking for a, a more conscientious, more conscious shopping experience that really kind of looks at what are the sustainable materials that are being used? What is the impact on the environment? There's a lot of water waste in, in fashion, for example, in clothing. A lot of water waste. If you're making something a little slower, it might have less. And then the social impact because, of course, as, as we mentioned, a lot of these fast fashion products are being made in China and Indonesia and Bangladesh where wages are really low and, and workers are mistreated. I mean, and it's happening in, you know, big cities too, like L.A., so don't think it just happens there. But it's just, you know, you just have to look more carefully at who you're buying from and what you're buying in terms of, you know, what the material is and how it's made. That's Chicago-based be- business writer Jennifer Waters joining us. You can uh, join us at this time tomorrow for Travel Tuesday. And still to come, we'll have a visit from our Monday afternoon stock picker. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Stock Picker Monday, and today we welcome Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter in Hammond. Chuck, what's your first pick? Uh, the first pick is a, a well-known company. It's Visa. The stock trades for about $238 a share. It just went to a new 52-week high. Uh, what I like about Visa is that in, in a market that favors growth stocks, this is a very consistent grower. They're Earnings and revenue should both be increasing about 14% in 2023 and 2024. Um, You can buy that growth at about 27 times 2023 and 24 times 2024, which sounds expensive, and and it is a little on the expensive side, but Visa is a company that has earned its premium over the years. Uh, The the one noteworthy thing, they have 4.2 billion Visa cards worldwide that generate transactions somewhere around 700 million transactions a day. And Visa has no credit risk to make their money off the processing. So it's a great business model, great company. That's Visa, uh, symbol is V, uh, stock trades for $238 per share. Easy ticker to remember there, the letter V. All right, Chuck, what's your second pick? Second pick is another uh, company in the fintech space, not as well known as Visa, and that company is Fiserv. The symbol is FI, the stock trades for $126 a share. And and probably the best way to describe Fiserv is that it enables money movement for thousands of financial institutions. So it's a company that's that's very involved in the, the plumbing and infrastructure of kind of money movement among financial institutions. Uh, has similar growth pattern to Visa. The company should see its uh, earnings grow 14% this year and next. And it's a tad cheaper than Visa. It's 17 times its 2023 earnings and, 20, and 15 times its 2024 earnings estimates. The, comp, the stock has been doing quite well and is trading around its 52-week high. But I think there's good value there given fairly low earnings multiples for a company in a growth space. Uh, that's Fiserv, symbol FI, trades for $126 a share. And in disclosure, my company and and myself own both of these stocks. Thanks so much, Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services, also publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter in Hammond, Indiana. His website, UpsideStocks.com. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and on the Odyssey app. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.